from the heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Sitting in today for Tony is our own Sarah Perry, Director of Partnerships for Family Research Council. Good Friday afternoon to you. I'm Sarah Perry, your host on this, the 31st day of July, 2020. Coming up on today's edition of Washington Watch, it's been called the program for saints and sinners. With Small Business Administration loans fanning out to everyone from food companies to dating apps, Congress's Paycheck Protection Program has been an equal opportunity lifetime for businesses being affected economically by the virus. But not everything has gone according to plan, as evidenced by the $150 million Planned Parenthood managed to get its claws on. I'll be joined by Congresswoman Debbie Lesko of Arizona's 8th Congressional District to discuss the way she plans to try to get the money back. In my second block, the practitioners of cancel culture are at it again, and this time they've set their sights on a target not often associated with conservative causes or unpopular opinions. The Los Angeles Times reported that due to an online petition attacking its brands as racist, Trader Joe's had caved to the cyber bullies. But what happened next will surprise you. David Clausen, FRC's Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview, will join me with his take. At the bottom of the hour, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo testified yesterday at a congressional hearing highlighting the Trump administration's efforts to stop China's human rights violations and international aggression in their tracks. But just how bad are China's human rights violations and just how aggressive has this administration been in response? Ariel Del Turco, FRC's Assistant Director of the Center for Religious Liberty, will join me. And in my last block, a few political movements in the history of the U.S. have truly distanced themselves from our American founding. Many have tried to twist and distort it, but nearly all have at least sought to attach themselves to the principles of 1776 until now. Were America's founding fathers heroes or villains, and did public education pave the way for the war on history? Jarrett Stepman, author and co-host of the Right Side of History podcast, will explain. As a reminder, TonyPerkins.com is our podcast website. You can follow all of our resources and links there for a deeper understanding of today's program. Make sure you're following FRC on Twitter at FRCDC or follow us on our Facebook page. And make sure you have that Stand Firm app. Remember, we've updated it. You can find it in your smartphone's Apple Store or Google Play Store. That way you can take the show with you wherever you go. Well, for Small Business Administration, it was a rocky launch. Desperate to get money to U.S. employers, the entire Paycheck Protection Program was rather rushed out the door hours before it was set to take effect, and loan processors could not give every loan the scrutiny it deserved. But it's one thing to help a burger chain, and it's quite another to help the country's biggest abortion provider. Congresswoman Debbie Lesko represents the 8th Congressional District of Arizona. She is on the House Judiciary Committee, the Rules Committee, and the Homeland Security Committee. She also co-chairs the Congressional Caucus for Women's Issues and joins me now with her plan to try to get the money back. Congresswoman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to hear from you and the listeners. I, I wish them well. Let me tell you, the Paycheck Protection Program was designed to do something that this particular money that went to Planned Parenthood Federation did not. So let's talk, first of all, about the structure of the PPP program. Really, what was this designed to do? It was designed to help small businesses 
to pay their workers so that the per, the workers wouldn't get unemployed. So even if the business couldn't be open because the government had shut them down, this money gave money to them so they could use it to pay their workers and also pay their rent and just kind of stay afloat. And that's what it was meant for. Unfortunately, Planned Parenthood, as you said, got millions of dollars. The Treasury Department and the Small Business Administration have told them to give the money back. They have not given the money back. So I introduced legislation that requires them to pay the money back. Let me tell you, this could not be better times because we know on the Senate side, Senator Marco Rubio has called for an investigation. He himself has tried to get the money back. To date, not a single penny has been returned. Initially, we believed it was $80 million. Now we're learning it is upwards of $150 million. I have to tell you, the unmitigated gall of an organization like the Planned Parenthood Federation of America to clutch tighter to the $150 million they so clearly do not need and fraudulently apply for it, it it boggles the mind. But this is really in keeping with what Planned Parenthood does. This is not a charity. This is not a women's ministry. It's not designed to aid women. It is a killing mill. That's ultimately what they are at the end of the day. Yeah, and what was really disturbing, I called our governor in Arizona at the time. They were they were open when the governor had said that all elective surgeries had to be closed and they they stayed open and they stayed open doing abortions. Yes. I mean, so there they violated the law in my opinion as well, at least the decree as well. And this has happened in other states too. I mean, these you know, it, it's just so frustrating. Can I tell you, Sarah, that there was only one Democrat congressman that currently votes pro-life and votes on pro-life legislation in the U.S. Congress, and that was Daniel Lipinski, mm-hmm. and he just got beat in a primary by a liberal pro-abortion Democrat. And I can't – I hope your listeners realize this because there this is such an important election yes not only for things issues like this fighting against taxpayer funding of abortions but also the protections of our religious liberties and freedoms there could not be a clearer choice this election cycle now yes. some people come to me some christians come to me and they go well i really don't like president trump's tweets well, sometimes I don't like his tweets either. But we're talking about <laughs> yeah. but we're talking about you know what do you, what do you want? You want right. somebody in office that is going to you know ruin our religious liberties, try to close down churches but okay protests in the middle of, of this thing who's so pro abortion that that we're going to be killing more and more innocent babies. Yes. This, this is a clear choice, and and there's only two people running, and so you s- can only yes. choose between the two. We and and we are, despite what I believe, some others in the Green Party, the Libertarians, have for many many years pushed for. We are ultimately a two party system, and we will most likely always be a two party system. We are, as you said, looking at two candidates, and abortion seems to be the untouchable crown jewel of the Democratic 
party for individuals who are lovers of life at all stages. That needs to resonate because we are looking at 120 congressional members calling for investigation into the SBA, trying to find out where exactly Planned Parenthood got their hands on $150 million, refusing to return it. This is the modern iteration, almost exclusively, of the Democratic Party. So it's disheartening for us who watch these national political developments to realize how clear the choice is, how clear that party, the Democratic Party, has prioritized abortion and then refuses to stand up and say this was this was ill-gotten gains of the Paycheck Protection Program designed to protect small businesses in times of great financial strain and who gets their hands on it but Planned Parenthood, who already has an endowment of millions of dollars in the bank. You you are so right. And I, I tell you, when I was in the state Senate and state house, I um, sponsored pro-religious freedom, pro-life legislation. And I tell you, National Planned Parenthood put out my personal home phone number mm. and I to the whole nation. And I got the most vile, terrible calls. Now, I'm not saying everyone that supports Planned Parenthood gave me these awful calls, but I am telling you, this is not a good organization, in my opinion, at all. You can get women's health services at community health clinics. You can go to Choices Pregnancy Centers in Arizona and other centers that are pro-life centers that help women that are in need that are pregnant. Yes. And and you know anyway, I I I'm so passionate about this issue, Sarah, that I felt I had to introduce this legislation. Now, let's be frank. The Democrats control the US House of Representatives. Right. They're not going to hear this bill. They're not going to bring it up in a committee. It's not going to pass because like I said, there's only one Democrat in the entire U.S. House of Representatives, Daniel right. Lipinski, <laughs> that will vote for pro-life legislation, and they just took him out. Right. You know, and Planned Parenthood helped his opponent. So, you know, the Senate maybe can do something, but they have to get those 60 votes to get any bill passed. That means they need seven Democrats to, right. you know, and what Democrats... I don't know in the Senate how many pro-life uh, senators, Democrat senators there are. I don't know if there's any, but I can tell you what, there's only one in the U.S. House, and now he's gone, too. And so, again, we're fighting. Republicans are here fighting. I'm fighting for pro-life, pro-religious freedom. Also, for goodness sake, some of the other values that that we hold dear, like, for instance, now they're really pushing this whole gender stuff where yes. they they are mandating that boys be allowed to be in women and girls sports if they right. just identify as a woman or in domestic violence shelters they're pushing so that the government is forcing these domestic violence shelters to take in biological men that identify as women that have not changed their body parts at all. You know, right. they're still men and putting them right next to women. And even in, if there's not different showers in the same shower, that's not fair to women. I'm sorry. 
No, and you um, and I, it, it, we've, the world we've, is upside down. I tell we've you. talked about this gender identity issue as well, particularly as concerns these homeless shelters and sports. Now that we're seeing multiple iterations of what it looks like to take the notion of gender identity and expansively apply it to every aspect of life in which federal legislative oversight is given. It it does boggle the mind, truly. We've talked about this, but we're seeing a Democratic Party platform move further and further to the left. And when you've got Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders working together to develop a platform that Sanders himself, who is a socialist, says will make him the most progressive president in history, we really need to shake in our boots a little bit because it's nothing short of an existentialist crisis. It truly presents the cause for liberty in all of its many iterations. That is what we are up against. And to hear you as passionate as you are about this is an encouragement to those who are listening because I think sometimes we we see politicians, we hear politicians, but we don't hear their hearts. And to hear yours, Congresswoman, let me tell you, it's an encouragement to me and it's encouragement to our listeners as well. Congresswoman Lesko, who serves 8th Congressional District of Arizona, has just introduced the Paytech Protection Integrity Act just earlier this week. So we'll be watching the development, praying for a right outcome, hopeful beyond hope that the right outcome will be reached. This is Washington Watch. I'm sitting in for Tony Perkins on this afternoon. And coming up next, Trader Joe's has caved to cancel culture, but then did an abrupt about face. What does it mean for us as Christians? I'll have David Clausen, FRC's Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview, about cancel culture and Christianity coming up next. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. Consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, He addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Absent fathers, distracted fathers, and angry fathers have created a vacuum of the soul in the lives of many children. Pornography is epidemic, affecting the male brain, isolating his heart, and degrading women who long to be cherished. Confusion and even skepticism about marriage run rampant, especially in our younger generations. Selfishness among men has led to broken homes and a trail littered with broken hearts, including their own. Where can you turn to find the solutions to these problems? Leadership and Love, A Tale of Two Fathers, is a new publication from Family Research Council that takes a look at two men, Joshua and the father of the prodigal son, as strong examples of leadership and love. It also weaves in an understanding of attachment science to underscore the needs of children which need to be met to become emotionally healthy and spiritually strong. 
Visit frc.org slash fathers to learn more. In today's culture, it can be difficult. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry sitting in with you on this Friday, July 31st, 2020. Well, cancel culture is an ever commonplace reference in the media. All it seems to take here lately is a little cyberbullying to foist progressive wish lists onto unsuspecting writers, speakers, nonprofits, and businesses of all sizes. But recently, grocery chain Trader Joe's found themselves the subject of an online petition that claimed that their branding of certain grocery products was racist. David Claussen, the Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview here at FRC, joins me to see what insight the story might have for us as Christians responding to cancel culture. David, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So what happened here with Trader Joe's? Yeah, so it's a really interesting story, but uh, apparently a, a 17-year-old uh, a teenager started an online petition cl- uh, just complaining that Trader Joe's branding was racist. And what she was particularly upset about was that they have ethnic food selections with some creative names, uh, like Trader Jose's, Trader Ming's, uh, for different kinds of foods. And, and initially, Trader Joe's announced um, that it would end the branding, uh, kind of similar to other brands like Uncle Ben's, Aunt Jemima's, Land Lakes Butter, uh, that have removed images that people were upset about. Um, but uh, a couple of days ago, Trader Joe's came back and, and reversed that initial decision and said that, you know what, our branding is not racist. Any uh, reasonable observer would say no. And they said, we want to be clear that we disagree that our labels are racist and uh, we're not going to cave in to the demand. And so I think this is just good for Trader Joe's uh, make, taking the stand and you know, Sarah, I'm sure there are people wondering why in the world are we having this conversation about Trader Joe's? Why are we highlighting it? Does it really right. matter what they do with their branding? But I'd say it does because it underscores the larger conversation that's taking place about this so-called cancel culture, yeah. which is a movement that is, I think, extremely important for us to be aware of because it's dangerous. You know, it's very interesting because they had in their statement, and you can actually find it online at TraderJoe's.com, they've got their announcement about their product naming, and they're talking about how their store has been a unique, fun, and neighborly place to shop for over 50 years, and that the feedback from the actual customers was excellent, that there was no concern about the particular labeling of these products, but it goes to the historicity of what's being attacked. In fact, the National Review has been maintaining a list of canceled items, canceled professors, canceled individuals. They are currently at 93 and counting everything from the name of chief, from chief executive officer at a Canadian company, Technical Safety BC, to a statute of Walt Whitman from Rutgers University. There is an ongoing list which shows you how endemic this is to our current cultural debate. And we know now that even the leftists are no longer safe from the hegemony of the far left. Now you cannot simply be left. You must be left enough. I give you J.K. Rowling, who I would part ways with on a number of other political concepts, but on the notion of gender identity, biological reality, and male and woman, man and woman as two distinct biological entities 
she and I are in 100% agreement. So how do we back ourselves up against what is a seeming tidal wave of people who are emboldened by an online presence to ultimately be nothing more than cyber bullies? Well, and that's exactly what it is, because I think, you know, Sarah, we use these terms like cancel culture, and let's be really clear what we mean by that. And really, the cancel culture movement is largely just an online phenomena of, of shaming and public bullying uh, that just wants to cancel or punish people for past mistakes or views that some might think are out of step with today's prevailing culture, which is why I, I really liked what Trader Joe said in their statement. That, you know, they just came out and said, these things are not racist. You yes. cannot bully us. You cannot shame us. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, and you're right, comedians, politicians, TV personalities, even some pastors are having to kind of scramble to atone for whatever has landed them outside the good graces of the cultural elite. But, but the problem with cancel culture is that it is historically illiterate. It, it yes. shuts down important conversations and labels really any nuanced thinking as bigoted or outdated and, most importantly, lacks the grace uh, that is needed to live in a world where people do make mistakes. We're not perfect. Yes, absolutely. And as particularly concerns, for example, our founding fathers and our founding principles. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the D block with Jared Setman. We're going to talk about history itself. We're realizing that just because something is flawed does not make it ultimately irreparable. It does not make it evil from its initiation. You can use words like chief executive officer without being racist because they have been in the common American vernacular for decades. It does irk me, I have to say, and perhaps this is an unchristian attitude, so I'm going to pray about it, David. <laughs> it does irk me sometimes that some of the initiators of some of these activist missions to scrub the culture of anything that might even be randomly perceived as racist or not in keeping with the liberal orthodoxy of the day, sometimes come from younger individuals. In this case, particularly, this was a teenager who started an online petition, which, as a parent of two teenagers and one almost teenager, I have to say, where are this young man's parents? I get very upset about that. You know, it's a good point. And, you know, I think as Christians, we we do need to be aware of this. Christian parents need to be aware of this and the, this shaming and this bullying. This is the old school playground bullying that, you know, yeah. we used to talk about all the time, just in an online phenomenon that is really ruining people's lives when you, you go after people for reasons that are that are pretty ridiculous. Um and, and so we just can't cave to this kind of hostility, this bullying, and this anger that is characteristic of a movement that, that is illiberal, uh, ultimately. Yeah, it is. And when we say that, we are liberal thinkers, you and I, but liberal has now been appropriated to mean something entirely different than it actually does mean. It ultimately means left of the political spectrum. But now what we're seeing is this illiberality. This is the thinking that goes so far against common logic that you've actually closed off the principles of liberal classical thought. You've actually narrowed yourself into the kind of one-way monopolistic thinking, that myopia that plagues people who are not willing to hear divergent perspectives. And it's not the conservatives, it's not the Christians who hold up our hands to our ears and say, la, 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 we're finding more in the culture, particularly in politics, that we're not even able to have civil discourse with people with whom we disagree. 
Lots to think about there. David Clausen has been my guest. Coming up next, we're going to talk about China's growing abuses against religious freedom and human rights and the complicity of the U.S. business community with Ariel Del Turco, our assistant director of the Center for Religious Liberty. Coming up next on Washington Watch. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry. It is Friday, July 31st, 2020. A reminder, make sure you have that Stand Firm app and follow our Twitter account at FRCDC. Likewise, make sure that you go to TonyPerkins.com, our podcast website, where we've got links and articles, blog posts, bios, just about everything you need for a fuller Washington Watch experience. Well, there is no shortage of news on China. There never is. And just yesterday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo appeared at a congressional hearing to laud the administration for its aggressive stance toward the communist country. But just how bad are the human rights abuses and the abuses against religious freedom to our East? Ariel Del Turco is Assistant Director for the Center for Religious Liberty here at FRC. She's been tracking China's abuses for very, very long time, and she's got a lot to say about precisely how bad the situation is. Ariel, welcome back. Yeah, Sarah, the reports just seem to get worse every week, even when you think they can't. Um, last week, we received reports that the Chinese government was actually pressuring Christian families to renounce their Christian faith before they could receive their regular government aid. I mean, these are elderly people who are just trying to receive their uh, aid, and the Chinese pressure is using that as leverage to uh, put pressure on these families to abandon their religious practices, and that includes going to church. It includes uh, the Communist Party wants them to hang up pictures of Mao and the current Chinese president, Xi Jinping. I mean, these reports are terrible, and they just come out every week. Well, now we've seen new arrests under the brand new Hong Kong Security Act. So essentially the crackdown has begun using the auspices of this legal uh, instrument to go in actually to Hong Kong to individuals who are considered dissidents, who will speak out publicly, who have publicly protested. So we know the situation is getting worse progressively in Hong Kong. We're seeing houses demolished and churches demolished, aren't we? We've had Bob Fu on the show to talk about the fact that popular, long-standing house churches are being forcibly broken up and the individuals are being manhandled in a show of force. You're absolutely right, Sarah. And the Chinese Communist Party has really used the coronavirus as a global distraction. They know the world is distracted with their own problems to crack down on religious communities. The Chinese government is getting increasingly shameless. And you saw that in Hong Kong when they took very drastic measures on a very public issue to crack down on that city. Talk to me about what the Trump administration has done, because Pompeo did tout the administration's level of aggression toward the human rights abuses. And it's true. They really have gone above and beyond to make good on their promise that they will confront the Chinese head on. And they're really the only administration in many, many years to take seriously the threat that the communist country presents to the nature of freedom itself. 
Yeah, well, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is really proud of the administration's record to combat uh, China's abuses against religious communities, and he really has a reason to be, especially combating China's um, efforts in Xinjiang. Um, we saw even today the administration put new global Magnitsky sanctions on a paramilitary organization that's connected to abuses against the Uyghur people in Xinjiang. That is a major step that is going to have consequences you know, you've got a great piece running at the AmericanConservative.com. This is a piece that just came out two days ago on the Uyghurs themselves. This is a minority that has considerably suffered under the communist regime of Xi Jinping. Talk a little bit about what we know about these concentration camps. And there's really no other way to describe them, is there? You're absolutely right, Sarah. And what's bad is that one to three million Uyghurs are being arbitrarily detained in these re-education camps, essentially for just their distinct faith and ethnicity. So not only is the Chinese Communist Party detaining these people, but they're actually using them as forced labor. And they're trying to profit off their human rights abuses. So the piece you mentioned, I promoted a bill going through Congress right now called the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And this is a really effective measure that would put an economic price tag, again, on China's abuses of the Uyghur people, because it requires companies that work in Xinjiang to prove with clear and convincing evidence that forced labor wasn't used in the creation of their products, because right now it's so hard to tell. What do we think about the possibility of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act being passed? I know we're headed into an August recess in Congress, but is that something that ought to have bipartisan support? Because, again, this is this is a human rights issue that trans, transverses all of our geographic lines and our international priorities. Well, thankfully, Sarah, this is a largely bipartisan issue. And the reason is there's just no excuse. The evil that's happening there is so obvious to members of both parties. There's no reason to not support the Uyghur people in really the atrocities that China is committing against them. This is a story that's going to continue to develop. We understand that this is an ongoing problem. This is an administration that has done exceptional work in making sure that our voice is heard when we talk about China, though they are a major trading partner of the United States. We have the power to sanction them. We are going to respond to the way that they have responded to these minorities, to Christians, to individuals who are not of the majority communist or ethnic party. It is truly the most pure example of totalitarianism in the world today. And the fact that this administration is willing to put down its foot and say no more is an encouragement to all of us who adhere to the cause of religious liberty. Ariel Del Turco is our assistant director of the Center for Religious Liberty. You're listening to Washington Watch. It's Friday afternoon on July 31st. I'm Sarah Perry sitting in for Tony Perkins. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about whether or not there's an actual war on history. Many of us adhere to the principles of 1776, but for the first time, they are under assault. I'll have Jarrett Stepman, who is an author, contributor to The Daily Signal, and co-host of the History Podcast, coming up next on Washington Watch. Stick around. Could you use some timely and original commentary to read this summer specifically on the issues facing our culture today? 
frcblog.com has just what you're looking for. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, members of the Family Research Council team, as well as outside contributors. You can learn about religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Check out this list of a few of our most recent titles. What does it mean to be a woman? D.C. Christians take to the streets to sing, lament, and pray, and prayerfully responding to civil unrest. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you to live out your faith and stand for truth. Our blog helps you do just that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. On April 16th, President Trump and the White House Coronavirus Task Force announced a three-phase plan with guidelines for how states can begin scaling back restrictions. Churches should begin putting in place plans to reopen and operate their ministries according to the guidance of the Centers for Disease Control as state officials begin lifting orders. Here at Family Research Council, we have summarized the White House three-phase plan and how it relates to in-person church meetings and gatherings. Check out our resource, What Pastors Should Know About the White House Plan to Open Up America Again. Our resource offers practical guidelines for how churches and houses of worship can begin to operate safely as our country reopens. Visit frc.org slash church guidelines to view this resource and learn more. There, you'll also find our full list of resources for churches in the time of coronavirus. Again, that's frc.org slash church guidelines. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry. It is Friday afternoon. You've made it to the end of the week and the end of the month. So congratulations to you. Go to Washington Watch's podcast website at TonyPerkins.com. Let's talk a little bit about history because few political movements, according to my next guest, in the United States have truly distanced themselves from the founding principles of America's birth from 1776. But now we find a change. Were America's founding fathers heroes or villains? Is there an actual war on history? And did American education pave the way? Jarrett Setman is a columnist for the Daily Signal, co-host of the Right Side of History podcast, and the author of The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. Jarrett, welcome back to Washington Watch. Oh, thank you so much for having me All right, so i got to start with uh, your book, The War in History, because now with that title and what you have written since the publication of your book last year, it now seems prescient because we have seen a new wave of hostility toward the iconography of the past that includes things like statues, monuments, memorials, even churches now. So did you anticipate that we would see this level of outright hostility toward America's founding principles? You know, I, I did see this, this coming. I can't say that I saw it all coming at the same time as we saw with the summer, but I, I did, as I, I predicted very much in my book, that you know this kind of war on history wasn't going to start with a few Confederate statues for Columbus, but was going to respond more broadly to American history. It was going to target the founding fathers. It was going to target uh, even the Union heroes of the Civil War, as all marked for destruction is all uh, people that should be ultimately canceled as part of this general cancel culture. So I did see this uh, sliding toward that kind of radicalism we're seeing today. And as we've seen, I mean, 
mean, over the summer, uh, no statue, no figure has been left untouched. I mean, we can mm-hmm. even down the list. I mean, from Abraham Lincoln to George Washington statues, uh, these have been targeted for destruction, often by lawless mobs uh, that have taken the law into their own hands. And we actually see a lot of local authorities uh, simply stand by and watch this happen. It's an incredible thing that, again, I, I, I didn't see this coming, but it's amazing to watch it all happen at once. You know, it's interesting because Hillary Clinton once said that we could not be civil with a political party that wants to destroy American values. Yes, the Hillary Clinton, everyone is thinking about, that came out of her mouth. And now we find ourselves who are aligned with conservative, foundational, those principles that form the very basis of a constitutional republic, we who are so often in the Republican Party, we find ourselves looking at what's happening and mob rule taking place in cities like Portland, Chicago, Seattle, Milwaukee, and it really is, to me, seemingly aligned with a perspective that is becoming increasingly popular in the congressional halls of power. The fact that we have leaders in public office who are unwilling to refute what is going on, to condemn the violence, to condemn the anarchy, and then when they have Attorney General Barr in front of them during a House Judiciary Committee, have the unmitigated gall to say to him that these are peaceful protests, to me, it raises the hair on the back of my neck a little bit. But I don't know if I'm making too much of that. So what's your take, Jared? No, you're not. I think what we're seeing is that the, the real rise of identity politics and called critical race theory into the mainstream, the mainstream left. I mean, it wasn't even too long ago uh, that Arthur Schlesinger, who was a kind of mainstream liberal uh, historian, warned in the late 1990s that the rise of identity politics tearing through uh, Americans' notions of their history, of that, that, that concept of 1776 of America being land of hope for all people, Ethel of Spoonum. He warned of that uh, for even those who were on his left. Uh, what we've seen now is a complete rise of this idea of identity politics that's now the mainstream, where if you if you dare criticize, uh, you're likely to be canceled. It doesn't matter if you're conservative, liberal, whatever you are. Uh, if you see this transformation. It's happening at the New York Times. It's happening at our, our country's biggest institutions. And it's really being driven by an elite that has lost claim to the idea that America is great. It no longer believes that. It, it believes that America at its core is fundamentally broken. It fundamentally needs to be transformed. They're going to do that even if they have to align with the mob. So you recently had a piece running at the Daily Signal, and for our listeners, Jarrett's really good writing can be found there, and you've got such a great intellectual ear for what is taking place currently that refers to who we are as individuals and places it within a historical context. But I got to say, you referenced a Fox poll that at first blush I found very encouraging, which is that the great majority of individuals, these respondents, found that the founders were still heroes as opposed to villains. But you talk a little bit about how when you break that down into sort of social context, generational breakdowns, the numbers skew in a very strange way. Talk about that. Yeah, what were heroes as opposed to villains, but that mostly skews to Americans over the age of 45. It's the 70 to 10 breakdown, 70% heroes, 10% villains. But when you look at those who are under 45, the numbers change radically. Uh, 39% say heroes, 31% say villains. And of course, there's a huge mass of those who are simply undecided, and it really shows 
how much of a cultural transformation has taken place among the younger generation, among millennials like myself and Gen Z, who either are uh, unsure about our founding and, and unsure about our country's uh, heritage, or they outright think that America is, is villainous, that it was based on were villains that had wrong ideas. And I think that that, that really shows what the future kind of cultural war or battle of ideas in this country is between a, a rough split between those who think America was ultimately found a good great thing, those who think it's foul and rotten, and a huge number of people who won over uh, to this idea that 1770 is fundamentally good. Unfortunately, knowledge and understanding of it has declined rapidly, and I think that's, that's part of this transformation that we're seeing now, that many of our don't get outright indoctrination, don't get a firm understanding of what history is about and what global history is about, which is full of tyranny and oppression and often yes. terrible things. America is the outlier there. Many young Americans don't understand this. They were never taught it. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about sort of the irredeemable nature of the country as being presented as a more popular notion and how really we're seeing more of that in our systems of public education. I can think of no better example than the 1619 Project, obviously lauded by and authored by New York Times itself. It's won a Pulitzer, which shows you essentially you don't have to be right to win a Pulitzer. You just simply have to say what's popular. But recently at the Federalist, Auguste Mayrat wrote a piece about really how American education, like you said, has paved the way for the 1619 Project because we have drifted away from the notion of America as being great, America as being good. It is okay to be flawed. It is okay to have scars, to be blemished, as I would imagine any young republic to be. We are still a young nation, though it seems as though we have had a presence on this planet forever. I have to say that the 1619 Project itself, and you know this as a historian, is absolutely rife with historical inaccuracies. Talk a little bit about how that project itself presents a real nettle to us who have children in the public education system. Yeah, I, I really see the 1619 Project as kind of a capstone of what happened over the course of a generation. I mean, this isn't the first kind of radical history kind of return the idea of America's good trade. Of course, we had a Howardson writing in the 70s and 1980s, People's History of the United States, which unfortunately became pervasive, uh, especially for younger Americans in public schools, the, the dominant narrative. And the 1619 Project is really a capstone. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a frankly dishonest history that it, it attempts, even in its final frame of America's past, the idea that slavery was the very heart of everything that you think is great about America. Honest about the, the goals and intent of the founders, that the American Revolution was about protecting slavery, which is frankly a lie, and they actually had to issue a correction. But this mm-hmm. is coming to American schools around the country. It's already in the curriculum about schools that come to school districts like in Buffalo, New York, and many, many others. Certainly, as, as our public schools reopen, this is going to be something that you know your children are going to be having in their classroom. Yeah. That's something that, despite all the indoctrination before, I think that. The the project is particularly particular devices, and there needs to be counters to it. I mean, that's that's the most important thing right now, is we need to win over people, or Americans who may still be open to the idea that their country is good and great fundamentally, and perfect and flawed, but, but great in what it originally conceived it. I think that's why this needs to be uh, at the forefront, of especially the, the, the debate and discussions we're having, you know, all these policy discussions 
this is really the most important piece because if Ethan Luna really truly fractures this country, we might not have much of a country left, especially given the many challenges that we have now around the world with the rise of superpower of communist China that stands for everything. Yes. Or against. We need that kind of parity uh, in this time of, of, I think, great turmoil. I could not agree more. So we... We have to find ways, particularly those of us who are parents, because we know what our children are going to be up against and because we know how the numbers skew when it comes to the founding fathers and the appreciation of history as well as the appreciation of socialism as a legitimate guiding concept in American politics, though this is a constitutional republic. I cannot believe those are actually statistics, but they are. What do, what do we expect when we stand up to this and how do we encourage other people to continue to value and love the founding principles that have made our country so great? You know, the, the land of the free because we're, we're the home of the rich, but I think what, what's happened is I think a, a large and vocal number, a, a minority really in this country, has shouted down and intimidated normal, regular Americans in the time. I think the most important thing is the kind of cultural revolution is happening is to stand up and defend the founders. You know, educate yourself. It's the idea that the country was built on and the generation of Americans who ultimately made it great despite the struggles of the past, despite the imperfections of our country. Yes. And be brave. Stand for that. Your institutions publicly, you know, push your politicians to reportedly defend the United States not a fundamentally racist country and a structurally racist country. Many on the hard left now say, I think that's that, I could not agree more. Jarrett Stepman, your book is available on Amazon. It is The War on History. It is an excellent book. It's The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. He also is a columnist for the Daily Signal, co-host of the Right Side of History podcast, which you all will need to check out. Thanks for joining me today. Well, I'd like to sign off today on this edition of the show with a particular farewell. This has actually been my last day standing in for Tony Perkins on our daily radio program. Now, it's bittersweet to leave the Washington Watch desk for the last time. I have so enjoyed my time speaking with pundits and politicos and thought leaders in an opportunity to learn more myself as we transmit the concepts of faith, family, and freedom and ways you can practice them yourselves. But I have accepted a political appointment within the Trump administration. I go to advance the principles we advance here at FRC within the halls of government, the same principles that have made this nation great. We've just concluded a segment on history, of course, the importance of remembering from whence we've come as Americans and the exceptional nature of our national character. So let me invoke here President Calvin Coolidge as he gave a speech in remembrance of the 1775 Battle of Bunker Hill. We were in the very early stages of the Revolutionary War when the odds were stacked against us as a young nation who was battling seemingly insurmountable odds. President Calvin Coolidge, invoking that era and that very important battle, said, Be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. 
So I say to you all, as I'm leaving and signing off for the last time, be also lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at FRCDC. Follow our Facebook page as well at FRC. You'll make sure to keep up with this organization, and I'll be listening for the changes they make moving forward. Until we meet again, this is Sarah Perry signing off on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 